narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live. It's good to have you with us on a Tuesday evening. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. This is great. Uh, we have uh, Ruth Ben-Ghiat joining us tonight. She is the author of Strongmen, from Mussolini to the Present. How are you, Ruth? Fine. Thanks for having me on. And Elbezia. How are you doing, LB? I'm great. I'm really excited. It's yeah, a really good book. It really is. It I really know is. I said that, but it, I don't come on here if the book isn't good. It's a really good book. So I'm, I'm excited Thank to talk you. about it. So you did an amazing, just an amazing job, really. It really <laughs> is because it captures a whole lot of history. It occurs to me as well that we've only yeah. really had authoritarian strongmen for about 100 years or so. It, hasn't, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be a, a long history of, of these guys, uh, which is interesting in itself. But tell me a little bit more about who the strongmen are and why, how, you, how you came to identify them as a group. So uh, as a working definition, I, I use this term strongmen to refer to authoritarian leaders who in the 20th century mostly destroyed democracy. So you had the classic one party dictatorship. Today, you know, they get into elections and sometimes like Berlusconi or Trump, they don't succeed in destroying democracy, they damage it. But the strongman part is also they use machismo and virility alongside these other tools like propaganda and corruption and violence and uh, the myth of national greatness. But the machismo is important. Uh, that's how they present themselves to their people and they have these male bonds with other leaders. So they're like a subset of authoritarian. So it's a, it's a feature, not a bug that they're acting like that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, why, uh, why has it been uh, such a recent uh, subset? Because it does feel to me like this has been around forever, but only in the, in the guise of sort of autocracy through monarchy or, or other ways. Um, it, has, it seems like as an elected democratic thing, it's a fairly new thing. Yeah, it's, it comes up. I mean, the, the, the modern, they come up with fascism and Mussolini is really important who comes out of World War I. They, he sets the template uh, along with early communists for certain things like personality cults um, and certain techniques of state violence. And so uh, they depend on having mass media, mass technology, communication to uh, kind of have this omnipotence and omnipresence through their propaganda. So you had lots of tyrants in the past and you had kings dating back to the early modern period who were said to have like a special healing quality. And that some of that comes into these strongmen who are accorded, you know, like they're there, like Trump, the, they say the evangelicals, Orthodox Jews say he's there by divine benediction. But you really need like mass society to have the modern strongmen. They're using democracy to destroy democracy, which I also find kind of fascinating. You know, they're using the tools of democracy in order to destroy the system. Is that, is yeah. that the goal? Oh, I, well, that's how it works today because they come in to, you know, you, you had fascist takeovers and the book, because I'm a historian, I really wanted to respect each uh, historical period, even though part of the argument is that some of the tools like remain the same. 
But so you had the fascist, you know, period. Then you had military coups, which, you know, the Cold War, they were U.S. or Soviet backed. And now they come in mostly through elections and then they have to manipulate elections to stay there and manipulate information. So in that sense, uh, they they work from within, you know, democracy to erode it. Brings us to the coup yeah. attempt or whatever is going on right now. But we'll get back to that a little <laughs> later on. Go ahead, LB. Oh, okay. Oh, so I, I have sort of an extended question, and then I just want to throw it to you, <laughs> Ruth. Um, of so, there's two two things came out of the reading for me that were really fascinating that I hadn't considered, but the way that you put it, information together and that you wove the story of these men together because they do intersect you know the modern ones they all know each other right um and and then the ones from the past how they how hitler actually was looking to mussolini needed mussolini's approval and for him to sort of be on his side he was courting him like writing love letters yeah. like donald did to yeah. the north korean leaders so <laughs> this sort of that they do they do seek each other out and need each other so um so the the, the things that came for me from your book that I was really taken by was this idea that, but behind each of them is this sort of elite power, the, the, another sort of a, the elite of the society, pu- pushing them yeah. in there, benefiting from them, installing them, basically. Um, and, and to sort of talk about that a little bit, because we don't think about that for the men in the past, strong men in the past so much. We think that they just sort of took control and they rose. We don't think about wealthy elite that are behind them. And then also I think it's really helpful for the audience. We have a very smart audience here. Um, And also I think it's good to always go back to the basics and you use the terms fascism, neo-fascism. So some of those terms, if you could define them for everyone the way that you define them in the book so that if we use them here people know what we're talking mm-hmm. about so so th- those were those were my two things i'm throwing to you it's not the questions like zev wants me to ask questions <laughs> it's a good question. hard time. but they're good questions but, though you know let's get these let's get these yeah. terms right and then what do you what what do you see in terms of a commonality of the wealthy elite actually installing these men to get them what they want for fascism um Mussolini had uh, one def, he had many definitions, although he also didn't want to define it because he was trying to get as many people on his side as possible. But he said early on that it was a revolution of reaction. And this is mm. really, it, it sums up the paradoxes that are at the heart of fascism. But so one of the things the book's doing is finding patterns. What happens over and over again? Um, that unfortunately is mostly happening today too. And one of the things we see is that these these guys find support when there's been a lot of change and transition in society. There's been a lot of social emancipation of women, like after World War One, or it could be racial equity, could be workers' rights. So these guys come up uh, and they're like a big red stop sign, and they say, "We're going to turn this back. We're going to, you know, have women know their place. We're going to have migrants, you know, in in our in our age, uh, get them, kick them out." Uh, and restore kind of what in the West is white males. So on the other hand, though, they are going to shake everything up. And a lot of them talk about like revolutions, like Mussolini. So fascism comes out of this period. And it's a, it's a hyper-nationalist, um, you know, the class unity, uh, one-party state, which is why there are fewer of them today, with a leader cult, 
It's also expansionist, and this is, uh, so some things have remained and come into the 21st century from the heritage of fascism, and some, some have not. Um, and Mussolini marketed fascism as a third way between liberalism and communism. It was going to be like the perfect third way that, that allowed mass society and allowed economic development, but didn't have like the anarchy of communism. So a lot of this right-wing rhetoric is born during fascism, and then you hear it, you hear it today, like it comes out of William Barr's mouth, it comes out of Orban's mouth. Yeah. So, so that's part of it. And the elite, um, dot, the elite support is super important, and you see it over and over again, because, and it's part of the tragedy of strongmen, uh, because these elites, and in the early 20th century, it was German and, and Italian conservatives, who thought they could bring the insurgent into the system, despite his violence, and sometimes they wanted, they liked the violence because, you know, for business elites or financial elites, it was they were doing the work of putting down the left for them. And the key, though, is they thought they could control them, and they could use them. And there, I have quotes from, you know, people in Germany in 1933, Italy in 1922, and and then we get up to the GOP. And so I couldn't believe it when the same thing starts to happen with Trump and Jeff Sessions, you know, is one of the first to bring Trump into uh, the system and he introduces Trump to a rally in February, uh, just a few weeks after Trump has said, has said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, mm -hmm. a very Mussolini type thing to say. And Trump actually says, um, hey, I'm becoming mainstream. I can't believe it. So these elites are really important to bring in and normalize and legitimize these insurgents. And then, of course, they go on to dominate them. That's the tragic part. Which comes first? The, um, well, the, the elites create yeah. the, the dictators or do the dictators create the elites or attract the elites? The, the elites, well, the elites bring, they, they see their potential uh, and they want to use them. So it's like it starts really early, but way before they get to office. The elites are how they get into yeah. office. Hitler was appointed and Mussolini was invited by the king uh, and, the, and the liberal elite to come in. He would have been nothing about, yeah. without them. That's the problem. And then they dominate them and then it's too late. And there's a whole history of like Hitler and Mussolini. Uh, and even what's really interesting is even when there's a coup, this, this was uh, amazing to me. So in, in Chile in 1973, there's a coup. So there's no running for office. But the same dynamic happens because once the coup started, there were Christian Democrat with the uh, political elites, and they actually believed Pinochet when he said, oh, I'm just going to restore order and then I'm going to bring back democracy. So they backed him because some of them didn't mind that he was killing off the left. And then, of course, some of them became imprisoned and one of them who backed him early on was poisoned by Pinochet. So it's the same dynamic. Yeah, I can't really believe what these guys say. They they don't seem to last very long either. They're sort of around for what a couple of a couple of terms in most Western democracies, maybe longer in Africa and other places. I mean, Putin. Look at how long Putin's been there. Right, He's that's true. Thank you. Here. Thank you for right. saying that. Yeah. I appreciate so, that. You're right. Um, and 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 all of his these modern day men. Those are all Putin's men. There's Trump, yeah. Berlusconi, Orban. Right. Orban was a bag man <laughs> for Mogilevich to mm. bring in money. And you know, Putin was the one connecting all that through Dresden. They really Stepping do all connect. Money. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really 
And of course, the elites, uh, this goes into LB territory, the elites are also criminal elites. And uh, many of these uh, strongmen already have a criminal record when they come into office or they are under investigation. And then, of course, uh, governance becomes uh, self-defense and then they domesticate their party to become their tool. And, and there's a lot of recurrences with that, too. And those are also elites that are really important. I want to spend a lot of time going into Berlusconi today because I think he's fascinating. But before we do, give us a line or two, if you will. You've talked, talked about Mussolini over here. Um, but I wanted to show you some of the crowds um, as I was researching the story, the, the incredible tapes uh, of the crowds going crazy. Um, the noise is deafening. It's so loud. I'm sorry about that. But listen to this for a second. So tell us a little bit about that that phenomenon of these rallies, of these followers, of these millions of people showing up and, and yelling you know, adoration at these guys. What's it all about? about? Yeah, that was another thing that uh, got me scurrying home many times to write op-eds about Trump getting more and more alarmed because when, when he started having these rallies <laughs> with the loyalty oath, that was just not a good That was a sign he was not interested in being a Democratic <laughs> politician. <laughs> Small D. And I gotta go back. <laughs> Going I, back to your keyboard. Ah! <laughs> I was. There were a few times when I like literally, literally ran home to do an op-ed for CNN because I was so freaked out at what was unfolding before my eyes. So that rallies yeah. are really interesting because they're multi-purpose. So the biggest purpose is that the people become props for the leader. And this mm. matters because spectacle is just as important as building roads. Um, yes. and who, would these, who would these guys be without their cheering crowds? And also psychologically, although I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't uh, psychoanalyze these people, I do get into their temperament. And Somebody said, uh, one of his only female biographers said of Mussolini's that without an audience, he was like an empty shell. Wow. So they have a narcissistic oh, wow. need. They must have the crowds. And Mussolini used to get turned wow. on. Uh, so he would have his mistress like watch him from behind the, where he's on the balcony. Oh, wow. and, and so that there's a whole like sicko domination thing going on. But the rallies are really important because it socializes the followers. And... They have their rituals, they, you see they have their uniforms, their flags, and so it's, they're really important for uh, constructing these communities of the included, because authoritarianism is always about benefits for the included and persecution for the excluded. So the rallies do all these things at once. They prop up the leader, they make him feel good, they socialize people, um, they provide people with you know rituals, like think about Trump with the, the stupid hats, but are not stupid at all because mm -hmm. people love, they become a tribe, yeah. mm -hmm. and the chants, the lock her up. So, so this is very exciting to people. So fascism was the, Mussolini was the first to do all of this. And this is why Hitler, LB was saying, 
you know, Hitler had a huge crush on Mussolini and <laughs> to the point where he had a bust of Mussolini on his desk and he kept writing to him and trying to get his autograph and other Nazis thought this was unseemly that he had this bust and they accused him of, uh, quote, Mussolini intoxication, <laughs> like drunk with love. But Hitler's like, I don't care. Mussolini's my model. And they both sort of, you know, fed off the crowd so much and then also, you know, made that crowd into a very exclusive tribe. It's, you know, it's designed to exclude right. portions of the population. Well, one of the things I found in the research um, is uh, Goebbels, who, you know, became uh, enamored with, with Hitler really early on and stuck with him. He discovered, uh, as he was becoming his propaganda person, he discovered that Hitler was wooden. If he, if he took him to a studio to record, he was boring. And Hitler needed the live crowd. So here we go back to the ego stuff. And it was only when he was in front of a crowd that he became like all crazy with his emotions and people, you know, were ecstatic because he seemed to express things that they didn't know how to say, but he needed the crowd to do it. Interesting. And Trump sort of has the same reaction. He sort of needs totally. to feed off of the crowd. That's why he went to so, do so many rallies. We're talking a little bit before about um, the this libido thing which you brought up and this mm. the crowd and the excitement and the you know for me i just hear primal brain right it's just this you know this sort of primalness of of you know these guys feeling the virility and feeling that power um and and that it just sets their brain off in every direction you know it's sex and power and all that gets combined um so I, i'd love to talk about that there's a chapter where that's a you have it in, I think, in the toolbox chapter of all the different tools yeah. of this sort of virility and how they use sex, but also within the context of just to bridge off what we we're saying of Hitler wanting Mussolini's appraisal and acceptance and his autograph and, you know, be my guy. And he looked up to him and he worshiped him. The role that men play in that mm. for these strong men and how they fall in love. They follow these yeah. men around them. I can't, and I, did I, I don't think I said this on the air because we were talking right before, but I kept yeah. thinking about, as I was reading it, the Ted Cruz and how everybody's saying to Ted Cruz, God, he insulted your wife and then you still worship him. And it's almost like people don't quite get it. You no, know, it's because he insulted his wife that he worships yeah. him. It's because he was dominated and Cruz clearly needs that domination. That's what he needs. It sets something off in him. Um, and satisfies him in a, in a primal way. Ew. Yeah, that, it's, it's really that's important. It. That's how they show dominance. And so both Mobutu in the Congo and Gaddafi uh, routinely slept with their officials' wives so that they, it was part of the, I have a quote in the book where uh, an official who served under Mobutu said, that, that's how it was. Um, he, he, he slept with your wife, he gave you a Mercedes and money, and that was the pact. Mm. But that, was, that meant that every day these officials knew that he'd been with their wives. Um, wow. and, they're, and they're also, I couldn't include them all in the book, all of these very intense um, quotes from uh, both from Mussolini and, and Hitler's um, you know, top officials where they're emotionally bonded in this very deep way to their leader. And the leader cult is really important because the secret of these guys, and this is the canon of the personality cult, and it's, it has not changed for a hundred years because they have to be I, men of the people like 
the everyman, but they also have to be the superman, like the man who's above everyone else, all other men. And so men look up to them because they can get away with things that others cannot, whether it's, you know, grabbing women's private parts, which is why I was not surprised. Like everyone was like, oh, the Access Hollywood tapes came out and here's Trump, you know, boasting of grabbing women. He's going to he's going to lose. And I was like, it might help him. Yeah. For the followers, it's an emulation thing, right? It's a it's yeah. a wish fulfillment. It's like, oh my God, look, he he's famous, he's got everything, he got women, do whatever he wants. But for the men in the inner circle, for like our Republican GOP, it's yeah. something else. They 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 submit to that domination in a way that fulfills them. And he gives them something that they deeply, deeply need that they aren't getting elsewhere. Or they wouldn't yeah, keep in that right. relationship. The ones that don't, the men that don't want that relationship, they're out, right? That's they're right. not in. They're, they're, they want out of that. Um, but the Matt Getzes of the world and the Ted Cruz's of the world and the Mark Meadows of the world, they, they're in there. It's not transactional for them. Um, Giuliani, it's transactional. Giuliani wants right. a pardon. Giuliani's a mobster. Giuliani and Trump have been doing this dance for right. 40 years, everybody. There's nothing new there with Giuliani. Um, but uh, Ted Cruz, no, there's something going on there. Oh, totally. Um, you, you, I'm not trying to psychological profile, but profile, but we can see. No, it. it's true. It, it's yeah. it's part of and it's part of their style of governance. So we, although um, yeah. it's about personality dynamics and it's about power. This this is how they they exert power in yeah. a very particular way, um, and. Uh, other and it becomes like this secret pact. Um, I think that uh, Hans Frank, who was Hitler's uh, minister of justice and worked for him for many years, and his personal lawyer um, said he. I have a quote in the book where he said something like, uh, um, "I have a secret with Hitler." Um, yes. I, so I'm not. I'm not remembering the quote, but I have a secret with oh, Hitler. I have I have that. only we uh, know, and it. it's I feel yes. ecstasy, and wow. so the other thing is that we think about like authoritarianism. Yeah, yes, Lindsey Graham. But part of it is it's not just about uh, following orders. Uh, authoritarianism is also about feeling a thrill for people like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz. Here's this lawless individual for which there are no. Yeah. There are no limits. There's no bottom. But he also is very emotional. Like Trump knows how to talk about like he loves, you know, the North Korean leader. He wants to be loved. So he it's all about emotions. Um, and they fall yeah. for this because it's like they, they get a thrill out of it. They're able to corrupt them. I mean, it's, it's not just yeah. coercing them in a, in a, in a, in a loving way. They want them to yeah. commit crimes and then they go ahead and do it. So they they, they, they fall for it. It's like an incredible luring um, you know, uh, like sort seduction. Of seduction. Yeah. It is, and and the sad thing for these this inner circle is that in the, in the history of these guys, very few of the leaders go to jail, but a lot of people around them mm-hmm. <laughs> go, to go to jail. So exactly. there's I couldn't put it in the book, but there's a little thread of, of personal lawyers who have all um, had bad ends um, from Hans oh. Frank. I mean Hitler also, you know, but Hitler chose to kill himself. To Cesare Previti, who was Berlusconi's uh, personal lawyer, to Michael Cohen, and both of those guys ended up in jail. 
but right. Berlusconi and Trump are not yet in jail. Yes. So yeah. this is part of the syndrome. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.